Before we get into today's episode, I just wanted to let you know that I am looking for 50 people with Hashimoto's. If you have been diagnosed in the last 10 years and you feel lost or confused about exactly what to do, then I want to invite you to join me for a free training call on Thursday, May 16th at 8.30 p.m. Eastern, where I will show you how to support your thyroid for your thyroid type and your specific Hashimoto's triggers. You will also find out how to lower your thyroid antibodies and how to get to the bottom of all of your thyroid symptoms, the weight gain, the fatigue, the brain fog, the inflammation, the hair loss. Please go to inatoppler.com slash Zoom call to register, and I will send you all of the call details. I only have room for 50 people, so please be sure that you register at inatoppler.com slash Zoom call and get your spot right now. Meet Ariella. She's 32 and has been trying to get pregnant for the last year. She's always had irregular cycles, gets headaches around her period, and has lots of cramps. She was on a pill for a long time, which helped her in her 20s, but it didn't fix anything now that she's off. Her doctor didn't have much to advise her, aside from seeing a fertility specialist who was very quick to suggest IVF, which she could not afford. When I met Ariella, I noticed that she was tracking her cycle with an app, but didn't actually know much about her cycle or when and if she was actually ovulating. So I showed her how to use the temperature method, and we used an ovulation predictor and found that her ovulation was actually a lot later than she thought, around day 21 or 23 most months, and her luteal phase was not always long enough. I knew that we had to dig deeper to get to the bottom of why this was happening and naturally shift things to help her balance her hormones and be able to conceive. Every year, thousands of people are told there's no explanation for their health concerns and no way to fix them. They feel frustrated, undermined, and lost. I know because that was me before I figured out the actual causes and reclaimed my health. Now, I help others do the same. I'm Ina Toppler, and this is Health Mystery Solved. We just heard about Ariella and the struggles she was having with her cycles, late ovulation, and fertility. Joining me on the show today to talk more about this is Kimberly Kelly. Kimberly is a licensed acupuncturist with a busy practice in the heart of New York City, where she's been helping people for 15 years. She is certified as a diplomat with the NCCAOM and Kimberly's continuing education has focused on women's health and fertility. She's had the privilege of working with those on their path to parenthood through fertility enhancement and pregnancy support. She's also experienced how effective Chinese medicine is at helping those suffering from symptoms of pain, headaches, anxiety, insomnia, and digestive disorders. Kimberly, I am so excited to have you on. Welcome. Oh, thank you. It's so nice to be here and to speak with you today. So when it comes to hormones and fertility, there are lots of mechanisms in action. And what I love about functional medicine is that every person is unique and there's not a one-size-fits-all approach. And I know that this is also huge for you and pattern differentiation is such a key in Chinese medicine. Can you tell us more about this? Um, sure, yes. Uh, pattern differentiation, I think, is sort of the key of Chinese medicine and what makes it 
so useful for so many different types of disorders. And it's, it's nice because sometimes people come and they're not exactly sure what the problem is. Maybe they've been to see a couple of doctors and they're not really nothing clear in the Western, what in, in Western diagnostics has, has brought clarity to what's going on with them. And they can't give a name to what's going on with them. But if we just go sort through their symptoms and take a look at the tongue and feel the pulses and, and get a picture of what's going on in their constitution, we can start to uh, identify a pattern that's happening and you can treat that pattern and then affect change in the body. So we don't have to have a, a Western medical diagnosis per se in order to correct imbalances in the body. And constitutionally speaking, when we talk about constitutions, you know, some people have propensities, the same Western diagnosis might present differently in different people. So two people with headaches might come in, but they actually have different types of headaches that show up on different parts of the head. Um, and that are uh, triggered by different things. And so sometimes the Western approach is just take this pain medication for your headache. But in Chinese medicine, we would want to really dig in a little bit and see what's going on with that person's pattern and constitution and make sure that we apply the right treatment and the right formula for their particular type of headache. So a headache might, you know, really have five different patterns that could be presenting and, and they would actually receive different treatments and different formulas according to their pattern. And so and you can, within that, you can kind of play around with formulas and uh, really modify them in, in tiny little ways to make it really fit the person's presentation perfectly. So if somebody has headaches uh, before their period or headaches whenever a storm rolls in or, you know, all these different, um, maybe some people will get nausea with their headaches, you know, each person's presentation might be a little bit different and you can really hone in and, and apply a really perfect formula for that person. Mm, I love that. And I love what you're saying in the sense that, you know, two people can have the same type of hormonal balance, right? Or the same type of even headache, you know, that's maybe right before their menstrual cycle, like Ariella had. But the reason for that is going to be different because of the pattern, you know, and I think that's so much about that versus just a diagnosis, because the diagnosis itself doesn't really mean anything. It doesn't help us in figuring out why it's happening. Totally. And in cases uh, like a PCOS type case, you know, two people might come in and maybe they are having delayed ovulations or they're not ovulating at all, um, but they might have two completely different constitutions and applying the same uh, formula or treatment to them would not be the way to go. You would actually have to really uh, apply a, a formula and a treatment that, that suits their particular presentation of PCOS, even though PCOS is sort of the blanket diagnosis. And as you know, working with something like that, you know, it can be a very complicated presentation. It, it can be, it's not, it's not very straightforward a lot of the time. Exactly. And I think that's where a lot of conventional approaches, you know, fail, unfortunately, because it's like, oh, you have PCOS. Okay, well, let's put you on the birth control pill and, you know, give you this medicine or that medicine. Whereas, you know, it's so much more than that. And that's why some of those approaches just don't work as well. Yeah. And often they are, while it might get the person to ovulate, if say they're trying to get pregnant and really they just want to get an ovulation out of them, then you can overcome that with, with some of the Western treatments. Um, but then if they withdraw whatever the treatment is, whether it's Clomid or birth control pill or whatever it is, um, you know, then they're right back to where they started. Nothing's been corrected. It just sort of was, it was finagled a little bit. Uh -huh. And so just like you try to do with your work, you know, we're always trying to actually go in and correct the physiology so that the, so that the, ovulations are happening of the body's own accord and that the pattern is actually corrected. 
Right, exactly. And you know, this actually reminds me, I was just having this conversation with a client the other day, and she's been on the birth control pill for a long time. And, you know, she was convinced that the birth control pill is what gave her a lot of issues that then created fertility problems for her, which certainly could be the case. But when we started talking about what was happening before she went on and why she went on the pill, she went on when she was 16, having really heavy periods with a lot of cramping, a lot of bloating, a lot of symptoms. So I was explaining to her exactly what you said, that chances are, you know, the pill just overrode that. But since that issue wasn't corrected when she was 16, when she got off the pill 10 years later, right, that issue's still there. It just kind of skipped over it. Yeah, I had a blanket over it for a couple of years. Yeah, we see that a lot. Now, when you talk about looking at the body constitutionally, can you tell us a little bit more about that? Because, you know, I think some people who may be a little bit familiar with Chinese medicine and acupuncture may have heard things like having too much heat or too much dampness, let's say, but then there's other people that maybe have never had acupuncture that may not even know that part. Can you tell us a little bit more? Yeah. And so, and the, the term, and it, a lot of that is just about terminology. So understanding a little bit about the, the language behind Chinese medicine, um, Chinese medicine describes phenomena that are happening in the body and they, they likened it to what was happening in the outside world, the outside environment. So you might see wind come through on a landscape and see it wreak havoc in a certain way, or a fire come through the countryside and note what does that do to the environment, um, or the dampness of a swamp and sort of what is, what is the nature of that if you come upon a swamp and, and the environment that that sets up. And so Chinese medicine really describes the same things happening internally inside the body. You could have heat in the body. You could have dryness. You could have wind come through. You could have water metabolism issues. And so we're really just describing what we see. So somebody with you know, heat would be a very obvious one where somebody maybe has um, acid reflux or they get uh, rosacea. And if they have a sip of wine, you know, they get a flush. Um, something like hot flashes, or even just subjectively always feeling warm, always being the hot person in the room, that would be someone who, who has heat internally. And so we name it so. And so when you're applying an herbal formula, for example, then you would choose some medicinals that clear heat out of the body and can cool them off a little bit, restoring their balance. And same with something like dampness. Um, you know, I, I describe it when I'm describing it to people who I see it in their constitution, they, they always resonate with it because I'll say, you know, when it's very humid outside, you probably feel worse because the outside environment is now very damp. And that's really exacerbating how you feel internally with dampness or taking in foods that are very damp, like uh, that would be like a soy based food, tofu, dairy, something like that. And they actually feel worse for it. Some of them will even produce more mucus. And, and they really actually see that. The, the dampness that they see in the outside world is exactly how they feel internally. And so then you would apply medicinals or a treatment that is damp clearing that can help the body manage its fluids and metabolize the fluids more efficiently so that they can start, you know, their, their natural draining systems start percolating and start uh, absorbing properly. And, and then the dampness can sort of run off the way it would off of a mountainside that has you know, soil that's working properly, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Now, how do you go about finding these patterns? I know you briefly mentioned reading the pulse, but can you tell us a little bit more about that and some of the other techniques? Yeah, and the, the intake, it, we actually take a lot of information that's subjective. So with our medicine, we're not, we're not 
calling for any lab tests. We're not, I mean, we actually can look at that and it's useful secondary information, but in terms of coming up with the diagnosis on our side, it really is highly subjective in terms of what they're experiencing. So we're going to go through a really in-depth question and answer interview on their first visit and subjectively find out what it is that they're experiencing. And we're going to cover, even if they're coming for something like fertility, we're going to be covering everything from their digestion to their sleep, to their temperatures, um, to their thirst, you name it. We, we go into all the systems and see how they're functioning and how do they feel and take that information. And then I usually, after the fact, some people do it before the fact, we'll feel the pulse. And in Chinese medicine, there are actually uh, more than one pulse. There are several pulses on each side. And we're not just feeling for the rate, we're actually feeling for the quality of the pulse. So somebody might have a pulse that feels quite thin, or somebody might have a pulse that feels very full and big or very fast or slow or very deep or very, very much up at the surface. And all of these things can give indicators about the state of how the body's functioning. And then the third thing that we'll usually do in that first visit is take a look at the tongue. And it seems like an odd thing at first for people. They're like, what? You want me to stick your tongue out at you? But the tongue actually gives us a lot of information. It kind of gives us a a picture of what's happening on the inside. And if you line up, you know, 10 people and look at their tongues, you'll notice that, you know, one is very pale, one is very red, one has a lot of teeth marks around the edge. Um, one might have really distended veins underneath, one might have a thick coating, one might have no coating. And so all of these things can also give indications about the internal state of the body. So we would apply all, we put all of those things together and, and create a picture or a pattern of what's happening and, uh, and apply the treatment accordingly. That's so interesting. Now you mentioned having teeth marks around the tongue and that's something that I notice in quite a few people. Now, is it something individual or does it have more of a general meaning if someone has that? Teeth marks in general, you would consider that a pretty for sure sign of having some kind of dampness or some kind of weakness in the middle, in the digestive function. And it is very, very common at least in the Western society. And it, and I see it all the time in clinical practice too. But a lot of people tend to have some sort of weakness in their digestive function, Yeah, at least in, you know, it, where we practice in New York City and just with the American diet. And, you know, people take in a lot of things that are either they have too much sugar in them or they're very cold in nature or things that can sort of slow down and inhibit digestive function. And so then we'll start to see it weaken a little bit. And that actually does show up on the tongue as this sort of what we call a scalloped appearance, a little almost like a flowered edge to the tongue. And that's because the tongue is a little bit swollen so that the fluids, it tells us that the fluids aren't um, being managed as efficiently as they possibly can be. And so we actually see that, you know, it's a very minor kind of swelling that's showing up on the tongue. Once you find all the patterns with the assessments that you do, do you typically then do acupuncture and also herbs or one or the other? Is there a way that you pick? I, when I have my preference, I'll, I'll use them together because I think that's how we get the most comprehensive uh, treatment and that's how we get the, the swiftest result. Um, for some people, they don't necessarily need both. So I don't decide ahead of time if they're going to get, um, I'll, I'll do acupuncture just about everybody because you know, 99% of people can really benefit from acupuncture and that's what they're coming for. And, you know, it's not going to cause harm or 
interfere with anything else that they're doing. And it's just has other benefits, usually in addition to whatever their chief complaint is. So almost everybody gets acupuncture and unless they have like a very severe phobia or there's some, some very specific reason why they wouldn't. I'd say maybe 75% of the people that come in end up getting herbs at some point during their treatment. Uh, usually start with the acupuncture and see how they respond. Whenever I'm adding things into a treatment plan, I'm usually adding them in gradually because I like to see what's working and what's not working. I don't want to add too many modalities all at once because if they, you know, if they feel dramatically better the next time I see them, we don't know what was what was working, what wasn't working. Um, so we start with some acupuncture and then I'll usually build herbs in along the way um, if it's appropriate for their case. And then we always talk about, you know, diet, nutrition, that sort of thing. If they need um, a lot of guidance, and then I send them to you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so we make a good team for sure <laughs> and vice versa um, because Chinese medicine is completely Greek to me. <laughs> so um, it, it's interesting because I think that oftentimes we actually see similar things, but we have different ways of talking about it and different ways of addressing it. Agreed. Even though we're seeing the same kind of pattern, like oftentimes, you know, if you see the scallop tongue, right, and that's dampness, and I will also then see candida right, or yeast in the body. So totally, totally. And that's so funny. And I think, I think it's 100% true. And we do see similar things, but we just have different toolboxes. Mm -hmm. So I actually like combining our toolboxes. I know that I can do some acupuncture and give them a really great formula. And I know that you can, you know, look through all of their labs and do all of those diagnostics. And then, you know, um, exactly which dietary modifications to make and, which supplements to apply. And uh, yeah, I think it's such a great combo. Yeah, it's just amazing how much better it works together for sure. Yeah. Now, we always think about the ovaries and the uterus, right, for fertility. Mm -hmm. But are there specific connections between other organs that may have certain energy imbalances and fertility? Yes. And that goes to the, you know, just like you see, the holistic view of the body that we take. So no system is running on its own by itself in a capsule. So that all of the systems are working together. They're all integrating to create function throughout the entire body. Uh, when we're talking in Chinese medicine about reproductive function, there are a few key organ systems that, you know, any of the organ systems can be involved. So you really have to go through and suss that out. When we're talking about the reproductive battery pack, as it were, then we're often talking about what we would refer to as kidney function in Chinese medicine and what's going on with the kidneys and do they have enough fire to create function and do they have enough substance to create form? Both of those things have to be in balance in order to get, you know, not only have the materials, for example, to create a follicle or to build some endometrial lining, but then you also need the function behind it so that the lining can build and that the follicle can come to fruition at ovulation. Um, the liver system is also really closely linked with the way that hormones go through their cycles. And if the cycles are running smoothly, you know, we have nice transitions at mid-cycle for ovulation. And again, at the end of the cycle, right before the period comes, when we see that those transitions are not happening smoothly uh, in the case of um, maybe a lot of pain and symptoms with their ovulation or breast tenderness or cramping or anything that is symptomatic at mid-cycle or before the periods, if we see some P PMS or cramping, these sorts of things show us that those transitions aren't happening as smoothly as they could. And then we're often looking to the liver system and there's some kind of liver involvement um, when that's the case. And when we refer to organs 
we're referring to an organ system. So if I say, oh, something's going on with your kidney, something's going on with your liver, it doesn't mean that that organ is a diseased organ, that there's something wrong with your kidney, something wrong with your liver. You always, you don't want to, <laughs> it sounds a little alarming to be like, oh, you have an imbalance with your liver. And people think, oh, your liver, something's wrong with it. It's just, we're referring to the functions and the entire energetic system behind that organ system and what could be improved upon to get the system functioning correctly. Now, are there some common reasons for late ovulation that you typically see? Yeah, well, yeah. one of the most common things that I tend to see is actually a liver, is what we would call stagnation in the liver system. So if that, those transitions are not happening smoothly. Something is getting, you could say maybe it's getting stuck along the way or there's some kind of stagnation along the way. Um, we see that a lot in PCOS cases where the, you know, you have these follicles, but they just can't come to fruition. They're never quite making it to that point where the egg is released. And um, I, oftentimes there's some kind of what we would call a cheese stagnation or a blood stagnation behind that pattern that we have to correct. And once we apply the herbs and the treatment that starts coarsening or moving the liver chi in the way that those hormones are going through their transitions in the cycle, then we start to see that the ovulation can start to come on time. How quickly does that happen? It depends on if it's just, uh, you know, they're kind of degrees. So sometimes it's just a cheese stagnation and sometimes there's more blood stagnation. Cheese stagnation would be something that's a little bit more energetic and it moves very quickly. Blood stagnation is a little bit more substantial. There's actually some substance to it and that can be a little bit uh, longer term. So when I see anything that's a cheese stagnation pattern, whether it's a ovulation that's delayed or even cramping, cramping before the period or with the period, that could be cheese stagnation, that could be blood stagnation. If it's cheese stagnation, we'll often see that open up within that first cycle that we're working together. It can be very quick. Um, it's just like, un, you know, it's like a hose that's gotten a little bit knotted up and we just unlock that knot in the hose and the river start or the water starts running through smoothly and it's very fast and, and people are often surprised. They're like, oh, I've had these you know cramps for uh, so many years and now in our first month of working together, they're just gone. Um, and so it seems really, it's really fun when that happens <laughs> um, and it can seem really almost miraculous. Um, if they have a little bit more substance to the issue or we would call like a blood stagnation issue that's that's complicating it then we actually have to go in and dissolve those hardnesses and anything that's happening with the blood, you know, maybe more of an endometriosis presentation where there are actual like physical lesions that are part of the picture and contributing to the pain. And so that can take, you know, that could take six months, 12 months to start really resolving all of that because we have to actually uh, dissolve the substances that are involved in order to let things flow freely. Yeah. One of the things that I have heard acupuncture work really well for is when people have inflammation in their tubes, or sometimes, you know, people may get a procedure and their tubes might be completely blocked. And acupuncture is something that has been really helpful. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, well, acupuncture is anti-inflammatory by its nature. That's one of the reasons it's great for pain. It's one of the reasons it's great for um, helping people heal from injuries. It's just naturally has an anti-inflammatory effect on the body. Um, as far as tubes go, again, it's going to depend to what extent there is damage or, or what exactly is blocking it. If there's just a little bit of, I don't know, maybe some mucus blocking up the tubes, or there's a little bit of an inflammation blocking up the tubes, um, then you can get that to calm down with the acupuncture. I would usually involve herbs in that 
kind of a case. And you can see things start to, again, it's just like anything else that's a little bit congested. It doesn't have a hard door closed per se, but similar to how your sinuses can get congested with mucus and it feels like they're totally blocked, but it's it's a movable substance that you can get to dissolve and, and open up and move through. Um, in those kinds of cases, the acupuncture can be very helpful. Um, if it's something, if it's like a complete blockage due to really severe scar tissue or something like this, sometimes we'll see in endometriosis cases or in cases where there was some sort of pelvic inflammatory disease earlier in their life that they never knew about. Sometimes those more severe scar tissue cases, I think acupuncture is not the case, is not the best application. I think sometimes they actually need a procedure. So yeah, it really depends on the extent of it and what exactly is causing the blockage. Mm -hmm. That makes sense. Yeah. I just think it's so amazing how the body works together and how stimulating energy in one part of the body is going to move it through another part. Yeah. It's just fascinating how that works. Yes. Yes. We'll see sometimes if they will use the example of a headache again and people say, oh, I have this headache and I start putting needles in their feet. And they're, they question that, you know, like but my pain is up here in my head. Why are you putting needles in my feet? And it is because we are always looking at the highway system. You know, it's very much like the circulatory system travels through all of these vessels and um, every part of the body is connected to every other part of the body through these networks and vessels. And um, the connective tissues also are, are connecting one part of the body to the other. So you can affect the head from the feet, the front from the back, the left side to the right side, you can really sort of, um, there are a lot of different ways to try and get things to open up and move through and have that um, network system moving freely so that there's proper function in the body. And yes, if it gets congested in one area, you can definitely open it up from another. Uh, let's talk about diet a little bit. So oftentimes in functional medicine, we talk about eating clean foods, eating organic, trying to avoid foods that you may have sensitivities to. And I know in Chinese medicine, people often talk about, especially when it comes to fertility, you know, eating foods that are warm. I know that's something I'm always told, like don't eat salads, don't drink cold shakes, eat warm foods. So can you tell yes. us a little bit more about that, the reasons behind that and just some other nutritional guidelines and tips that you have. Yes. And um, I think this is actually one of the great things about Chinese medicine as well. So they're not only looking at sort of the nutrient density of foods or foods, you know, that have this kind of vitamin or that kind of protein. They're actually looking at the nature of the food. And so food has nature just as our bodies have natures, just as the outside world has natures. Um, using again, the example of dairy, you know, it has a damp quality to it. You can see that just by pouring it in a glass or drinking it and feeling how you know, thick it is. Um, and foods that are very cold, um, anything that's iced, for example, you know, we drink a lot of iced beverages in this country. If you go to other countries, uh, more traditional um, cultures, they actually don't ice their beverages. They don't introduce cold into the body that way. And the reason is that they see those temperatures and that nature really affecting the way that the body functions. So if you have a nice, you know, warm internal functioning digestive system that responds well, you know, your, our bodies are, you know, pretty high temperature. And when we start introducing very cold temperatures, we start to slow down function. And just as you put Anytime you apply cold to something, we're seeing that it, you know, is going to reduce the circulation. It's going to start to function starts to shut down under cold. When things are starting to die, to be extreme, they get cold. And when things are starting to come back to life, they're getting warm. 
And we see that the way things shut down in the winter, everything closes in and gets colder and function starts to slow and shut down. And then in the spring, when things start to warm up again, then the flowers can bloom and the waters unfreeze and can run freely again. And so we see that in the body too. And so especially with something like digestive function and reproductive function, we want things to be warm. We want circulation coming through. In the case of fertility, we really want microcirculation coming through that endometrial lining in the uterus. And so we want to be introduced, anything that we're introducing into the body, we want to be promoting that circulation and promoting that warmth and that function. Um, and similarly, uh, something like raw vegetables, uh, they, they just take a little bit more work to digest. And so if you lightly steam or lightly cook or kind of get that enzymatic process going with some very light, you know, you don't want to cook the nutrients out of getting that enzymatic process started can just think, make things easier on digestion. So if somebody is really suffering with poor digestion and it's, it's hard, you know, their body has to work very hard to get things digested, then we don't want to make that even more complicated and more difficult um, by adding in foods that are, that are hard to digest. Um, and so we'd say, oh, just lightly steam it, lightly cook it. And when you're taking in beverages, taking in at the minimum room temperature beverages, if not some nice warm teas. And then I'm assuming you're probably a fan of broths, right? Love the broths. <laughs> no, I mean, they now, of course, from the Western perspective, we know how nutrient dense they are and what the benefits come from there. In Chinese medicine, they actually look at it in terms of reproductive uh, function and how it can be beneficial for fertility is because you know, broths are coming from the bone. You're unlocking that nutrient density from the bone. And when you're taking that in, you're really nourishing the kidney system, which is the reproductive battery pack. And so when you're either being rehabilitated from a serious illness or just trying to really build the body up or preparing for something like a pregnancy where you're going to really be drawing on your body, um, one of the best tonics you can apply. And I get, I, I'll uh, prescribe it like as though it's an herbal formula. I'll actually prescribe like a cup of bone broth a day while people are preparing to get pregnant or if they're recuperating from something and they just need that really, really nutrient dense strength coming from their food. Mm -hmm. Now, do you have a preference if the bone broth is from chicken or turkey or beef? I would, I, chicken and beef are the most blood building in terms of Chinese medicine. So those would be probably my top two picks. Um, some people are very averse to having beef, for example, and they'll only have poultry, then, then that's fine. We'll take it. Yeah, I think that still has a lot of nutrient value. And are there any other foods in Chinese medicine that are considered blood building? The, the most blood building are going to be the animal proteins, the beef, the chicken, the meats, that sort of thing. Um, you can also look at anything that has chlorophyll, that's chlorophyll rich. So all of your deep leafy greens, your Swiss chard and kale and bok choy and all of these things that have a lot of chlorophyll. We see that chlorophyll as being plant blood. And it, uh, it's very similar. It's just what one molecule off from human blood. Um, so that can be a nice blood tonic. Um, those would be the top two. If somebody's very blood deficient, I'll have them take in very lightly steamed or cooked chlorophyll-rich foods, um, and I'll get them on some animal proteins if they're not already. Great. Now, if someone is trying to get pregnant, are there certain foods that are better to eat in the beginning of their cycle versus mid-cycle or late in their cycle? Ah, uh, you know, I don't, I don't get too into that for cycle treatments. I know that some people, there are entire programs designed around eating for different times during the cycle. Um, but I don't focus as much on that as I do just getting their diet cleaned up and, and making it nutrient dense. I think you always need nutrient density in your cycle. 
when you're preparing, when you're trying to prepare for any kind of health improvements. So I don't worry too much about eat this food at this time. I just really want them eating nutrient dense foods in general. Great. Makes it even easier that way. Yeah. Do you? Do you have certain recommendations? I don't actually, but I know that there are some people um, more on the Chinese medicine side that practice that, but I'm not as aware of it, but I know that, you know, sometimes people do. Yeah. It becomes a lot. I think we have to kind of do a little bit at a time and, you know, sometimes it could get overwhelming. So I think like you said, it's like, let's just try to get things in balance as much as we can without hopefully completely overwhelming the person at the same time. Oh, totally. And that's actually a big part of it because people are overwhelmed and even just getting people to track a cycle or do the ovulation predictor kits, like sometimes that feels like a lot for somebody. And now it's bringing their focus to their fertility every single day. And so if we're compounding that by adding lots of minutia, do this, this day and that, that day, um, it, it just makes the whole thing not very fun. And it makes what can sometimes be a frustrating process become even more frustrating. For sure. And we obviously know the effect that stress has on fertility. So it's totally finding that balance. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and that's another thing that I know acupuncture is very good for. And that's stress. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, it's actually one of the benefits, no matter what we're treating, if you're coming in to see me for, you know, elbow pain or painful periods or long cycles, no matter what we're treating as your chief complaint, the night, the side effect of acupuncture is that it resets the nervous system automatically. So you're going to come in and after you're done with your time with your needles, your nervous system, if it's been kind of caught up in that, you know, sympathetic or um, fight or flight type system that makes us feel a little bit anxious and a little bit on edge. And, you know, a lot of people, especially in the city, just just are kind of stuck in that side of their nervous system where everything is a little edgy because we have sirens going past us and a lot of deadlines at work and we're rushing around and the nervous system is supposed to really fluctuate between both the sympathetic and the parasympathetic and it's supposed to naturally go back into the rest and digest function whenever the fight or flight function is not needed. But what I tend to see a lot, and I imagine you do too, is a lot of people coming in with their nervous systems just constantly in fight or flight. And so when that's the case, what happens with the body is the other functions that are assigned to rest and digest, fertility is one of those things, they get all put on the back burner. And so that's why the digestion starts to suffer, the sleep starts to suffer, fertility starts to suffer, because all of the body is considering itself to be in an emergency, and it thinks that these things are secondary and we'll deal with that later. And so we want to reset that and rebalance that, bring their body back into rest and digest so that all of those functions can come to the fore and that their fertility, their sleep, their digestion, um, their capacity for healing, if they've had like tissue damage or injuries or any of that, um, all of that can come to the fore when they're in a state of rest and digest. Yeah, for sure. And I talk about nervous system so much on this show because if our nervous system is upregulated, the body really can't heal. And our body has this ability to heal. You know, I think we all kind of know that, but forget often. And so the more down-regulated our nervous system is, the more the body can do that. And, you know, I think a lot of it also isn't just cortisol. I think a lot of people hear about cortisol. They know about cortisol as the stress hormone, but there's so much more than that because people sometimes say, oh, I went to the doctor or I did a saliva cortisol test. Look, see, I'm fine. My cortisol is normal, right? But that's just one, you know, there's obviously the catecholamines and then there's this whole 
energetic component of the nervous system that we can't always see. So there's a lot to this. Yeah, agreed. And I think just for, I mean, I think that you, what you probably see and I do too, and a lot of people would theorize is really that stress effect on the body and the body just always, even if it's, even if it's not so dramatic as like, uh, I always have high blood pressure, you know, even if it's very subtle, this like low grade stress that we're walking through our day with, that we're always just a little bit on edge and all of our second, well, well, they're not secondary functions, but the body sees them that way when you're in a stress mode, everything's a little bit working suboptimally. And so over the long term, you know, you're just never really quite digesting your food and getting the nutrient density out of it. You're never quite resting totally and completely. The body's never quite healing from uh, whatever traumas you've incurred that week or that month. And so we just, you know, over time we start to see these larger disease patterns develop and, and a lot of it's rooted in that. So if we can just get a, a handle on the nervous system and allow it to fluctuate between sympathetic and parasympathetic as it was meant to, um, then the body's just function better overall and you have longer health and you can avoid some of these disease processes from kicking in. For sure. And we have so many different ways that we can do that. And it's so nice to know that acupuncture is another way. So it's just an extra tool now that we can have in our toolbox. Totally. Now, what about session length? So if someone's getting acupuncture, how long does it take for the energy to start to move and that chi to start to move? Do they need to be there for an hour? Is it a half an hour, 15 minutes? Yeah. And there are different styles of acupuncture. And so different, depending on the system that you're working in, they might have slightly different resting lengths for their needles in the style that I learned we have people resting for about a half hour and I think that most people actually physically start to feel the effects when they're about 15 to 20 minutes in they'll actually they actually feel their body start to relax and they start to kind of sink into a really nice relaxed state and and, and when I receive treatment I usually find that that's happening sometime in the 15 to 25 minute mark um, so half hour has been the sweet spot for most of my people if they're really deficient or very, you know, if they're really restless or um, in a delicate state of some kind, I might have a shorter retention time with their needles. If they're in a lot of acute, acute pain that's very severe, then you might leave the needles in a little bit longer, more like 45 minutes, and that's fine too. But in general, they're resting with their needles for about a half hour, which is about the right time for them too, because that's a nice little cat nap in the middle of their day or at the end of their day. They feel very rested upon waking up. And if they've been, if there's something tangible to their symptoms, like pain or something like that, oftentimes, even within that half hour, it's enough time to see that shift. Well, Kimberly, as we wrap up here, can you give us your three best pieces of advice for those that are dealing with hormone imbalances and fertility issues? And of course, I understand that everyone is different, but is there anything that you know could be a little bit more universal that maybe people can apply to right away? Uh, for fertility? Well, the number one thing I'd say is to track your cycles if, if we're talking about fertility. Um, some people are just using apps and apps are going off of math. And it's not actually going off of what the body is going through during its cycle. And so that's a huge thing that I'll come in and we'll start breaking down the the cycle. And we realize they're not ovulating when they think that they're ovulating. Yep. That is exactly what was happening with Ariella. I'm so glad you mentioned that. Yeah. So definitely track your cycles using your body's, um, the body's own signs and symptoms that it presents to you. It tells you exactly what's going on. You can track your temperatures. You can track your uh, cervical fluids. 
Um, you can use an OPK if they're useful for you and they show up for you. There are a lot of different ways that you can actually use the body's own signs to tell you exactly where you're at in the cycle and what's going on. And from there, we can also, it helps us decide like, oh, you're having 28-day cycles, but you're having really long follicular phases and really short luteal phases. That's useful information. And we can then go on to correct those things once we know that they're happening, but we don't know that they're happening unless we're tracking. So I'd start there. For nutrition, it's exactly what you covered before. And what we touched on is just you want to eat really warm foods and really nutrient-dense foods. Bone broth would be at the top of the list. Animal proteins would be shortly thereafter. And all of the essential fatty acid-rich foods are also really nourishing. So your avocados and your coconut and olives and salmon and these sorts of things. And the third really would be about stress because it's such an important component of all things health and especially fertility. And you have to think long game when we're thinking about fertility because once you make that decision like, yes, now I'm ready to get pregnant, then there can feel, it can feel very urgent or it can just feel like, you know, I waited so long in my life, you know, trying not to get pregnant and now I want to get pregnant. And so a lot of people put so much pressure on each individual cycle. Like it has to be this cycle. And maybe it's the first cycle they're trying, but they put so much pressure on themselves and their bodies and their partners. And then that just, that, that's a recipe for disaster. So you really want to think long game. You want to know that it can easily take six to 12 months before a perfectly healthy couple falls pregnant and that that's, that that's fine. And that's um, that what we should allow for, you know, I think that it's good to get diagnostics run and start being proactive about things. You know, you don't want to wait a year before you start um, tracking and, and probing around a little bit, but you want to just understand that it really is considered totally normal to, to take, you know, six to 12 months before somebody falls pregnant. And you can be gathering information as you go along before that. And we can start, if there are imbalances that need to be corrected, you can start addressing those things. Um, but to just have a little bit of patience with the process. Kimberly, thank you so much for all of this insightful information. It was such a pleasure having you and thank you so much for being here. Oh my gosh, thank you so much for having me. It's always so fun to talk to you and it's always so nice to share patience with you. I really, really appreciate uh, the work that you do for everybody and, and with this podcast that you're sharing it with the world now. So thank you. As we just heard, Chinese medicine and acupuncture can work to balance many conditions and it is especially helpful with hormones and fertility. I'll tell you more about what we did for Ariella in just a second. But first, if you want to contact or find out more about my guest, Kimberly Kelly, and her New York City practice, just go to my website. It's healthmysterysolve.com and click on episode 40. You will see all of her information and all of the resources that we discuss on the show. And for Ariella, I knew that the combination of acupuncture and functional nutrition was going to expedite things to get her in balance. I've personally done acupuncture for several years and have seen so many wonderful changes with it, so I knew that combining that with nutrition would be great for her. Ariella was in California, otherwise I would have sent her right to Kimberly if she was in New York City. Uh, thankfully, Ariella had a friend who really liked an acupuncturist out there, so she was able to get a referral for someone good in the area. While she started acupuncture, I continued teaching her about her cycle how to read her temperatures, as well as cervical mucus changes, so she can really see what is happening from month to month instead of just going by the calendar method and assuming ovulation is somewhere in the middle. If you're currently using an app, be mindful of this. Most apps rely on the calendar method and will highlight your fertile days as the middle point of your cycle. But we all ovulate at different times. 
even if you have a quote-unquote normal 28-day cycle, you don't necessarily ovulate on day 14. It could be as early as day 9 or as late as day 22 or even later. We have to remember that sperm can live for about five days. So if you assume you ovulate on day 14 and you don't until, say, day 21, well, that sperm will likely not be viable. And if you ovulate early, then you may miss the window altogether. So just keep that in mind and look at other ways to track your cycle, taking your temperature, looking at cervical mucus, or measuring your LH surge, which tells you that ovulation is coming in the next day or so. And you could do that with a urine test. Those are all great ways to get more details. Details. Additionally, I also worked with Ariella on balancing her diet, taking omega-3s as well as evening primrose oil. We then added magnesium and did two months of calcium deglucrate to help her better detoxify estrogen, therefore creating a better estrogen to progesterone balance. After two months with the nutrition changes and weekly acupuncture, her ovulation moved from day 21 to day 16. She was also feeling much more even, had less cramps, and her premenstrual headaches were much better. Two months after that, so four months after starting everything, she got pregnant naturally. Because she was tracking her cycle, she actually knew even before her missed period because her temperature stayed up. Ariella was, of course, thrilled and has gone on to have a healthy baby boy last year. Of course, I also supported her during her pregnancy, and she really felt great that whole time. She was taking prenatal brilliance and brilliant DHA. She was also taking extra zinc, phosphatidylcholine, and magnesium. And then we continued with those postpartum while she was nursing. If Ariella sounds like someone you know, please share this episode with them and make sure you subscribe to the show because the next health mystery I uncover could be one you or someone you love is dealing with right now. When it comes to health issues, please remember not to give up. Even if it seems like you're at a dead end, there is still likely something you can do. You may just need to look at it from a different angle. The answers really are out there and there is hope. I'm Ina Toppler. Thank you so much for listening and see you next week on Health Mysteries Solved. All information, content, and material on this podcast is for informational purposes only and is not intended to serve as a substitute for the consultation, diagnosis, and or medical treatment of a qualified physician or healthcare provider.